0: All oh, right. Hello. Ah, let's see who's here. Good afternoon. Uh Li, Hanyang, Ji, Jin, and Tisanja. Thank you for joining me. Right. Um, so the plan here is to uh, cover lecture one for about two hours. Okay. Um so chat here. I'll my screen. Okay. So uh, the arrangement for this particular uh, session is a little bit different because um, so this is the technically a uh, recording, which um gonna it's a recording that that is gonna be. Uh, cut up, edited a little bit and uploaded. So uh, having an audience makes it much much better. But in terms of interaction, so we have to minimize a little bit in the sense that uh, let me uh, finish certain sections first and then when there's a break in between, then you can ask questions so that the recording will be uh, somewhat cleaner uh, for uh, benefit of, of you and your friends as well. Right? So it's easier to to go through the materials before we go to Q&A. You will see that after a certain section, there will be this red bar here. So that means that that's the end of that subsection, which is a good visual indicator for me and you as well, for me so that when I edit the video, I can just cut where the bar is. I can see it visually without having to go through the video again. And for you, you know the R. So that's the end. The in between sections, then you can uh, ask questions. Okay. Uh, Unless if you see that I've made some mistakes, you know, or I've missed certain parts, then you can please uh, let me know so that I can, you know, go back and go through that part. Okay. Right. Any questions before we start? Is everything okay? You can see the slide and all that. Yes. Okay, thank you Ishmael. Okay, excellent. All right, this is already recorded. So let's start. So this is lecture one uh, for ETW two five one zero Introduction to Econometrics. And the title for this is Econometrics and Causality. So there you can see the details, the usual details, and how you can contact me for our uh, timetable and so on. Right, the outline is that we're going to go through the question of what is econometrics? And the purpose of modeling, which is what we do uh, in econometrics, uh, predictive and prescriptive models, those are type of models, types of data, causality, and the notion of satiris paribus. If you have taken economics, you would have encountered this term, satiris paribus. It's a Latin term, right? So I would like to Zoom in on that. There will be a, an overarching theme for this lecture, causality and notion of uh, satirist paribus. And the end is how can we use econometric to test economic theories or any uh, uh, social science theories for that matter. All right. So what is econometrics? Metrics, the suffix means measuring things. It means measure and analyzing those measurements. Econo comes from econometrics, uh, economics, sorry, tells us that we are talking about measuring and en- analyzing economic things. You know, So econometrics uses mathematics and statistics to solve economic problems. So that's somewhat the brief official definition. So other examples of using metrics in other fields is biometrics for biology and psychometrics for psychology, right? Um, So why are we called econometrics? Because this term was coined in the 1930s when many of the fields of business and commerce didn't exist yet, or they're still very, very uh, in its infancy, very young. So economics was used to uh, basically cover uh, most of the social sciences, Right. Uh, that's why we it was uh, the term econometrics was used, but now it's applied in businesses, in finance, in, in uh, so many other things. Right. Okay. Marketing management. Basically, all the majors that you see in our business school, they all use econometrics somewhat. Okay. Right. Especially when it comes to their research. All right. So, economics. The economics field suggests important relationships, often with policy implications, which is very relevant to us. But virtually never suggests quantitative magnitudes of causal effects. So that's a very uh, deep meaning that Quantitative, something you can measure, something we can count, something we can uh, manage. Magnitudes, how big, how small, of causal effects, meaning if we change A, it will lead to a change in B, because there is a real relationship. So we'll dive in into that causal effects a bit more. So some examples here, what is the quantitative effect of reducing class size on student achievement? So the theory would be, if you reduce class size, the achievement would go up. Uh, I actually see this uh, personally, because I used my first class Back in 2014, had 16 students, very small. That's the smallest class we've ever had. No one had grades lower than C credit. They did very well. But as we had uh, bigger classes, then we'll have a bit higher uh, uh, failure rates and so on. But it's not just because of attention, because we do have tutors for, you know, 20, 25, 30 students. Um, but there's so many other factors as well, right? But here, the point is that it's not just about the direction of the effect, but by how much, if it improves the student achievement, by how much does it increase by 10 points? Is it by five points, right? So if we change from 30 students per tutorial to 20, how much would that increase students' uh, performance, students' grades? Right. So quantitative, that's a key word there. How does another year of education change earnings? How does, meaning what? Does it increase? Does it decrease? So sometimes we don't know the direction of that. We know it affects somehow, but not direction. so econometrics can determine that direction. What is the price elasticity of cigarettes? Price elasticity, this is something you have also seen in economics, right? Meaning that this is when you want to decide to increase tax on cigarette, you know, to to encourage people to smoke less, you know, increase the health condition of the country and so on. So how much would tax really work? How much would increasing the price of cigarette really work? So that's important too, because you want to know how much you should increase or you should increase at all if the price elasticity is so uh, ineffective in the sense that whatever high the price, people will still buy no matter what. Right? So then it's not a good tax, would not be a good policy uh, move. Right? What is the effect of uh, on output growth of a one percentage point increase in interest rate by the Federal Reserve as a central bank? Right. Again, increased interest rate how much will growth increase or decrease and so on so we don't know the direction we want to know the direction of that as well so what is the effect of housing prices on environmental improvements <laughs> you can see here uh, environmental improvements is quite a vague uh, concept that is something quite important in this because not every uh, thing that we want to measure is measurable ah so we call this unobserved variable or the more formal word for it is what uh, we call construct but we are not going to go into that so much yet uh we're going to focus on things that we can measure or we use some kind of proxy to measure for example uh, environmental improvements uh what can we use to measure that for example recently actually today uh the meteorological department here uh, said that the uh, air quality in, in the Pataling district and somewhere was not so good, meaning there's a bit of a haze. So that, uh, is it called IP? What's oh, called? The air index, uh, the air pollution index or something. Right? Uh, so that can be used for environmental a measure, a proxy of environmental improvements. So there can be many measures, but this can be one of them, for example. Right. So that is quite important as well. All right. Okay. Now, this is the key thing. Econometrics is about using data to measure causal effects. Data, evidence. That's important here. That distinguishes econometrics from economics. Ideally, we would like an experiment, ideally. What, for example, what would be an experiment to estimate the effect of class size on standardized test scores? You have different class sizes and you give them a test and see what happens, right? Or the effect of uh, education. So you would have uh, one group, you send them to university and one group you, you don't send them to university by force, right? That's ideal but it would bother you to say that I should stop people from going to university. That's not practical, right? So for answering social, socioeconomic uh, questions, this kind of experiment is usually not feasible, right? Uh, like uh, hard sciences like physics, chemistry, biology, they can usually have a lab, a control condition lab that they can get data from. So that's experimental. So they can control everything. But economics, as you can imagine, the whole world is our lab. So we can't really control it. What we do have is observational data or non-experimental data, right? Returns to education, meaning, oh, you went to Monash, what is your wage now, right? Uh, Cigarette prices, Managed policy, managed policy means uh, interest rate. Uh, Fiscal policy is the tax rate, so on, right? So because we have non-experimental data, which is not ideal, then some difficulties arise, okay? Uh, Difficulties arise from using observational uh, data to estimate causal effects. One is called confounding effects or omitted factors, meaning Since we can't control everything, we also can't take into account everything. There's so many uh, dynamics and things happening in the country and the economy that we can't control. So we have to make sure that we do our best to do that. So this is what this unit will will, uh, deal with. There could also be simultaneous causality in the sense that not only uh, A causes B, uh, B also causes A, or maybe A and C cause B. You see, there can be many directions and many instances of causality and influence and uh, effects. So that's tricky. So, And then we, there's also this thing that I think you have heard before, this phrase, correlation does not imply causation. Just because when A goes up, B also goes up, it doesn't mean that they have any relationship, they might have a correlation, but it doesn't mean that A is causing B or vice versa, all right? So, how do we so in this course we will learn how to understand all this and deal with it, okay? So, in this course, we will learn methods for estimating causal effects using observational data, we learn methods for prediction for which knowing causal effects is not necessary, uh huh. See, we estimate causal effects, but also if we can't get causal effects, we can get prediction, which is forecasting using time series. Okay. Ah, so those are two things that we'll then into more of that later. So we focus on applications. Theory is used only as needed to understand the whys of the method. So this theory is um, from what mathematical theory or statistical theory did we come up with this particular method? In our case, is the OLS method ordinarily squares, the method for which we, uh, with which we derive the linear regression. Okay? So we use that kind of theory. We're not going dis- to discuss economic theory so much or finance theory so much. Okay? We will a little bit to, to guide us through the application, but we're not going to develop any new theory. Okay? We learn to evaluate the regression analysis of others and of ourselves as well. This means that you'll be able to read, understand empirical economic papers or empirical research papers. Empirical means it uses data. It runs analysis, regression usually, right? Which is what we are doing uh, in this unit. And get some hands-on experience with regression analysis in your uh, problem sets, in your tutorial. Okay, all right. Okay, any questions? Oh, we have uh, eight people here. Excellent. Yes, Eshmav.
1: Oh, no, sir. I said uh, I don't have any questions.
0: Thank you. No question. Okay, no worries. Okay, next. So two purposes of econometric modeling. One is prediction and one is policy prescription. So policy prescription can be understood as causal analysis, causal effects, uh, which I've mentioned before. So prediction, to predict a target variable based on available information. For example, future return to a stock based on historical returns. What will the stock price be tomorrow or next week or next month based on what we have seen in the past few weeks, past few months and so on, right? Uh, School quality based on house prices. This is not so relevant here, but in America, their schools are funded by local taxes meaning if you live in a, a rich area so those rich people which have expensive houses and therefore house prices they will pay higher taxes and therefore there's more tax money for schools and therefore the schools can be of better quality and therefore uh, kind of related to house prices higher house prices richer people higher tax higher school quality see right but if you notice, as I mentioned there, house prices does not directly affect school quality, but is actually through tax. So house price predicts school quality, but does not actually directly cause it. Right? Okay. Of course, school quality is not just about money, it's about quality of the teachers there, the the, the the philosophy they have, and so on. So that's why, but there is some kind of predictive power there. Right. Rain and its intensity based on the number of people carrying umbrellas. Ah, so more people carrying umbrellas means that it's raining a lot heavier. So this is also more relevant where there are a lot of pedestrians, right? People walk around. But in Malaysia, not really. Our rain umbrellas don't really help <laughs> because the rain here is a whole uh, torrential rain, monsoon rain. So raining in UK or Australia I mean, right? They're not here so much. But yeah, that's a common example in the uh, Western uh, part of the world. Okay. Number two, policy prescription to understand the causes of variation in a target variable, so that we can control that variable with a suitable policy prescription. right? Control. You see, for prediction, we just want to know, okay, how can we know what's going to happen to that particular variable you know, in the future? But uh, for policy, you need to really understand what is causing it. There must be a real relationship, which is naturally more difficult to establish. That's what we are trying to do. We're trying to do both, of course. But uh, if you're in policy, if if you're a minister working for the Ministry of Finance in the government, uh, you know, so you want to do. Uh, you want to really determine the causes. For example, what determines the vitality of stock prices, the ups and downs of stock prices? Is it the profit of the companies? Is it the sentiment of the people? You know, is it um, uh, the, the 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 policy of government? So things like that not uh, but for as opposed to what we saw here based on historical return means that we just look at yesterday's price to predict tomorrow's price so yesterday's price is not causing tomorrow's price is there is some it's just predictive if tomorrow's going down so if today if yesterday it went down today it went down so tomorrow it might go down as well but that's not that's just a trend it's a pattern but it's not causality. It's actually causes by, for example, that i said just now, government policy, sentiment, and so on, right? What determines demand for umbrellas? Well, rain, for example, is determining demand for umbrellas. So there's a causal effect there. How does university education affect earnings? Ah, how? Does it increase your IQ? Does it increase your skills, and so on? Okay. Uh, what is the effect of greenhouse gases on global temperature? See? Causal effect as well. And when we talk about causal effect, it's not just the whether there is one, but also the direction, negative or positive, increase or decrease, and also the magnitude of it. Okay. Right. So that's really important. And also... Uh, uh, we have to make sure that uh, when we establish causal effect, we have taken into account all the factors. So that refers back to the uh, difficulties in establishing uh, causal effect with non-experimental data that we uh, saw just now. So we'll discuss more of that as we go along. Right. So an example here, there's a paper here uh, from 2010 uh, to explain or to predict. So it kind of, uh, determines uh, discusses the difference between uh, causal effects and uh, just prediction. Um, so, I just get take some uh, excerpts here. So, why should there be a difference between explaining and predicting? Right, the answer lies in the fact that measurable data are not accurate representations of their underlying construct. Right, remember what I said, construct just now. Right, for example, if we take your IQ test scores, what are we actually trying to measure there? We are trying to measure your intelligence, right? Intelligence is abstract. You can actually measure it directly. So we are using IQ as the measurable data, but that may not accurately represents your underlying intelligence. Okay. The operationalization of theories and constructs into statistical models and measurable data creates disparity between the ability to explain phenomena at the conceptual level and the ability to generate predictions at the measurable level, right? So because of that, there is a disparity. There's a a bit of a gap there, right? So uh, just because your education increases your IQ, it doesn't mean that it increases your intelligence right just because oh, something that is more uh relevant here just because uh house prices predicts school quality it doesn't mean that it causes school quality right okay because there are many other factors that causes school quality that affects school quality other than house prices, right? Okay, so that's the difference. So it is important. Of course, if you have a causal model, can you also use it to predict? Yes, you can. So causal is more of a, a, a more complicated, a more higher quality model, so to speak. Uh, and prediction is a little bit easier, right, to, to achieve. So there are more details and more complexities for a uh, policy uh, prescriptive type of model. All right. OK, this is also from the paper, uh, which is quite uh, general here, which is Steps in Statistical Modeling Process, where we define the goal, design, study, and collect data, prepare data. Uh, EDA is uh, exploratory data analysis. Which is like um, uh, looking at the graph, looking at the histogram, looking at the mean, median, and mode, and so on. And then we choose the variables, choose the methods, uh, evaluate, validate, and model selection, and use model and report. So, what we are going to do is basically all of this, except perhaps uh, cl- design, study, and prepare data and perhaps define the goal as well. Because we're not starting research from from scratch. We are given a problem, some kind of hypothesis on the test. We are given data, right? And then we do some exploratory data analysis. We choose which variables are most relevant to answer the question, the hypothesis, and we choose our methods, which is the type of model. Then we evaluate and validate and choose the best model. And then we interpret it and... Uh, get some kind of uh, implication from it, right? So that's what we will do. So this part will be uh, our focus, right? Have you heard of this Netflix price? This is way before Netflix is what it was, what it is now. You can see here, Netflix is the largest online DVD rental service. <laughs> Have you ever? heard of Netflix being that? That's how Netflix started. I vaguely remember this. This was in uh, early two thousands, probably when DVD was still a thing. So they send DVDs to you, so you go and uh, choose DVD and they send it to you. Before this, they had Blockbuster, for example. If you heard where you have to go there and rent. Uh, I used to rent uh, VHS when I was well, very very young. (laughs) So. This is how Netflix started. So what they had was this Netflix prize where they give people data and ask people to create an algorithm for their recommendation algorithm. Recommendations, which is what you see now. Remember when, oh, you watch this, you might like this as well. Oh, you watch this, you might like that. So if you uh, log into people's accounts, Netflix accounts, the the movies that shows in the the page that is totally different like i like to watch you know like marvel and disney and stuff like that um uh, so my recommendation would be like those kind of movies but i have a friend i went to 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 their house and look at the netflix like whoa all kinds of horror movies and gore i'm like whoa i, I didn't see all this on netflix uh you know so <laughs> so very different. Right. So if you're uh, the crown person, uh, uh, you know, what's the one? Dalton Abbey. Is that on Netflix? Not sure. But, you know, or you like uh, the Saw movies or you like the Shrek movies, then you get very different things. Ah, Shrek is, ah, Shrek's human. Right. So Netflix did that, which is one of the uh, big thing at the time, one of their uh, competitive advantage. So, yeah, if you win, you get $1 million. So these are some of the, uh, they use what we are learning, and if you learn data mining and so on, this is what you will learn uh, what to do, uh, learn how to do, right? Okay, pretty cool. This is from that paper, by the way. That's why I'm quoting it here. Okay, right. Um, Let's see some examples. Do districts with smaller clusters have higher test scores? That's the question. That's the goal. So initial look at the data, summary of the student-teacher ratio and fifth grade test scores, right? So here we have the averages, the standard deviations and the percentile where that is the median. There's a, a 10th percentile and 90% percentile and so on, right? So this is lower, this is higher. This table doesn't tell us anything about the relationship between test scores and the uh, STR. Uh, student-teacher ratio. Student-teacher ratio is the proxy for class size, right? Um, why do you think it doesn't tell us anything about the relationship? You can probably guess the relationship in the sense that, oh, you look at the numbers, oh, if it goes up, is this other goes down, you know? Uh, so you might kind of guess, but it's not really clear, is it? This doesn't really help. So we do some exploratory data analysis For example a scatter plot like this student teacher ratio right Uh, that direction and test scores that direction so what does this figure show huh that's not really clear is it okay right so how do we do how do we use this to answer our question let's look at the steps so we need to get some numerical evidence on whether districts with low student teacher ratio have higher test scores but how? So three things that we can use: compare average test scores in districts with low SDRs to those with high SDRs. This is called estimation, one form of estimation. Meaning we look at this. These are averages, but we be more specific. Average test score industry with low SDRs to those with high SDRs. So here is the uh, what do you call? Uh, the the overall average. We try to get, okay, what are the high average? Let's say this is, uh, this is high, right? High serenity ratio and this low serenity ratio. So let's see what is the average test score for this group and the average test score for this group. That's one example. And see if there's any difference there. And uh, uh, so to test that difference, we use the step of hypothesis testing. That's the null hypothesis that the mean test scores in the two types of districts, the high STR and low STR, against the alternative hypothesis that they differ. So the null hypothesis is usually the default, the boring one, usually, not always. In this sense is that, oh, they're the same, there's no effect. That's the default, no effect. Okay? Not interesting. So, the high teacher ratio, uh, student teacher ratio, low student teacher ratio, they have the same score. The alternative is what usually what we are trying to prove our new theory, our new claim. In this case, that they are different. Then, to measure that, we can estimate an interval for the difference in the mean test scores, high versus low SDR districts. This is what we call confidence interval. So, this is so we have it, for example, we have an interval score for the low SDR, and then we have the interval score interval for high str, if the intervals do not overlap, like in this case, they don't overlap, right, it means that there is a significant difference between them. But if they do overlap, let's say this is low and this is high, there's an overlap there, it means that there is no significant difference. So we'll go into more of this. This confidence interval is just one uh, method. There are other methods which uses p-value and uses uh, um, uh, critical value. So we're going to go into that a bit more as we go uh, into hypothesis testing, in week uh, 4 or 5, if I'm not mistaken. All right, any questions? I think the time is okay. It's uh, 3.30, so half an hour. I think we're doing good in a sense. feels like we've covered a lot of things. There's only been half an hour. You are okay? Feel free to take a break and drink, have some tea, afternoon tea, some uh, Earl Grey or um, English breakfast or English afternoon tea or something. <laughs> or oh, Darjeeling. I like Darjeeling. It's sweet, is it? Okay. You all okay? All right. Okay, next. Econometric analysis. Let's talk about models. So steps in econometric analysis, number one. The economic model or information system model or a finance model something you know uh, so this is often a skip for econometric analysis in a sense that we use it we apply it but we don't develop it okay so that's what it means by skip. number two econometric model that's what we focus on right so some examples of economic models so this can be a microeconomic model or a macroeconomic models and often uses uh, optimizing behavior. For example, we want to optimize uh, the price we pay to what we get, you know? Uh, actually, optimization is very mathematical. There's a whole subject on that. If you have a chance to take that unit, something that optimization, please do take it. Uh, equilibrium modeling, as in demand and supply, for example, equilibrium. So this kind of thing, these are economic uh, concepts. Uh, Establish relationships between economic variables, right? For example, demand equations, pricing equations, um, and so on. So these are economic models, right? So we just take it from the economic fields and we apply, okay, right? Models. So example of the difference between economic models and econometric models. So this is an economic model of criminal activity by Becker from sixteen. It's quite a long time ago. So it derives equation for for criminal uh, activity based on utility maximization, (laughs) basically saying that, is it uh, worth it to do some kind of crime? (laughs) So the variable Y there, you can see hours spent in criminal activity, oh, I feel illegal just saying it. Uh, Hours spent in criminal activity. And this is a function of this variable. So the hour spent is a function of this variable. Uh, wage of criminal activity. So how if you rob a bank, how much would you get? And uh, Wage for legal employment, meaning that, oh, okay, instead of, this is the opportunity cost. Instead of being a criminal, you become a proper uh, legal employer, an employee, how much would you get for that? And that would determine your, whether you want to do a crime also, right? Uh, because there's opportunity cost that. Other income that you might have, probability of getting caught, probability of conviction. If caught, would you actually go to jail if you get caught? You know, uh, are you uh, a normal person? Uh, if you go uh, cross the state, will you get caught? Will you go to jail and get fined 10,000 uh, ringgit? Or if you're an important VIP, yeah, you cross, oh, it's okay. Uh, we just uh, give a warning to you, you know, or something like that. So, probability of conviction if caught. Mm-hmm. So, expected sentence. Uh, how long would the sentence be? Would it be a life sentence? Would it be uh, 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 a uh, death sentence? Like uh, drug dealing, we have death sentences here, right? And your age. So, quite interesting. So we you can use this to decide whether you should break a COVID SOPs, all right okay <laughs> the functional form of this relationship is not specified in the sense that oh are these relationships linear or are they logarithmic are they exponential are they quadratic are they positive are they negative so none of those were explained here in the um in the model, so equation could have been postulated, uh, could have been postulated without economic modeling. Right. So econometric model, uh, in contrast, will have the functional form specified, and the variable may have to be approximated by other quantities, because you can't uh, directly observe that particular. Uh, Variable, for example, so here we have measure of criminal activity, right? Hours you spend criminally, criming, right? Uh, Wage for legal employment. You see that. What's the difference here? We have this betas, right? So those are the estimates. Those are the relationship that captures the effects, and we also see that we don't really see here because uh, it's kind of there, what I'm trying to say is for example, wage and crime here, it implies that the relationship is linear, is wage in linear form, right? Ah, so, um, in, instead of uh, for example, logarithm form, or uh, you have wage square, uh, so that's linear, that's a functional form as well. And notice that here we have frequency of prior arrests, frequency of conviction. Every sentence length after conviction, each. Do you notice some difference there? What's the difference? Frequency of prior arrest, frequency of conviction is not here, isn't it? Ah, so that is used as a proxy for probability of getting caught and probability of conviction. Right? Right. So we use frequency instead. Because that's the data that's available. Okay. frequency and probability is not so far. This is pretty good. Okay, right. And there's one more thing that's really distinct here about econometrics. Notice this thing here? At the end there, unobserved determinants of criminal activity. Aha. For example, these are the things that, okay, we have taken into account quite a lot of factors here, but remember that we are not in an experimental lab there still could be other factors. And these factors could change based on uh, which country, which state, which culture, right? Uh, Which criminal system, uh, the level of development in the country and so on. So that can still affect your criminal activity, but we are not taking that into account. We are hoping that these other factors are uh, negligible, ideally, or they are not uh, observable and in the sense that it is not directly measurable okay and it does not directly affect crime okay for example moral character very hard to measure right wage and criminal activity family background wage and criminal activity that is actually part of the model, right? But we can't get that measurement. How would you measure that, right? It's a bit difficult. Well, it's a lot difficult. Yeah. Right. Like uh, because it's crime, the nature of it is 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 you know, the, the, the black market is hard to measure all this. So we're hoping that we can use a proxy of that with something else and so on. Or we are hoping that whatever we have is sufficient to establish causal effects and prediction and so on. Right, so that unobserved determinants of that unobservable, we call it the error term, that is very important. A lot of things in econometrics uh, centers around that or uses that as an indicator, or uh, we are trying to fix that. Okay, that may be vague at this point, but you understand it eventually. Okay, all right. So this is another example, uh, model of job training and worker productivity, uh, hourly wage, is a function of education, experience, and training, right? Uh, but here we have a chromatic model, more precise, education, experience, and training. And again, we have the unobserved determinants, which can be the innate ability, like your talent, you're born with it, quality of education, family background, and so on, so on. So most of econometrics deal with the specification of the error term. u. See, I guess just now. Most econometrics deal with the specification of the error. Um, econometric models may be used for hypothesis testing. For example, the parameter R, which one, represents the effect of training on which. Which of these parameters represent effect of training on which? Which are the parameters? What are parameters? Parameters are the betas. Betas, betas, beta, beta not, beta one, beta two, beta three. Beta not as in beta zero. So not is the British word for zero. N a u g h t. So we like to use that. Not instead of zero. Shorter, I guess. <laughs> so which of these betas represent effect of training on wage? I guess it's quite obvious. Is beta three, right? Beta 3 represents the effect of training on which? How large is this effect? That's the value of beta 3. Is it different from 0? That's hypothesis testing. If it is different from 0, it means that training has some effect on which? Has a significant effect on which? Is it a negative effect? Is it a positive effect? So we can know all that by analyzing the parameter beta 3. We'll look at. Look into them more. Okay. Right. Cut. (laughs) Any questions? Oh, everyone's still here. Very good. Okay. Predictive models. When do you think a variable X will be useful for predicting a target variable Y? For example, can we predict how many people will be carrying umbrellas using the Weather Bureau's forecast of incidence and intensity of rain? Can we predict if it is raining outside by counting how many people enter lecture theater with umbrellas? It means, you, know, you don't know what's happening outside, you just see people coming in with umbrellas. Can you use that to predict if it's raining? Yes we can. Hmm. What is the thing there that you see? You see some connection. What is the connection called? So that is called correlation. We can exploit the correlation of these two uh, variables. Correlation of umbrellas and rain uh, and so on. Uh, For example, in this case, uh, for prediction, regardless of the direction of causation that's important. Regardless of direction of causation, in the sense that is the umbrella causing the rain or the rain causing the umbrella? Uh, It doesn't matter. But we know that if it rains, people will be carrying umbrellas. If people are carrying umbrellas, we know it's raining outside. So that's prediction. Okay. So we don't care about the causality in this case. Still useful, right? So the tools we learn allow us to predict y using an x that is correlated with y. If there are variables that are correlated with y, several of them, these tools will allow us to use a combination of these predictors to predict y. So if you have umbrella, and then another is a raincoat, another is wet hair. So these are the other variables that you can also use to predict whether it's raining, because there's some correlation there, right? It's quite obvious. Uh, When we have time series data, ah, and today's value is correlated with yesterday's value, we can use yesterday's value to predict today's value and also predict future values, and that is called forecasting. So the tools that we are going to learn allow us to build forecasting models. So in why sometimes we settle just for prediction? Because sometimes to establish real relationship is very difficult. Like in economics, especially macroeconomics, um, there are so many relationships that intertwine and the bidirectional causality and so on is not easy to establish causality. But we can establish predictive relationships, and that's good enough, right? Okay, but we should still endeavor to get the causality so that we can manipulate and control. Uh, uh, with more confidence, right? So, causal models, as I said, allow us to manipulate a target variable by changing uh, a variable Y by changing a variable X. So, for example, a CEO salary is positively correlated with a company's share price. Can we increase a company's share price by offering a large salary to the CEO? Ooh, that's tricky. Number two, poor countries have high infant mortality. Does this mean that the only way to reduce infant mortality is to make the country rich? Ah. Hmm. We need to have a causal model to enable us to give policy advice. Right. Ah, what do you think? Ah, yeah, I'm gonna ask you a question. You wanna answer this? any thoughts
2: um sir yes uh regarding the second example uh i think besides a country being rich they need to have other factors like a better healthcare system and access to healthcare which needs to be taken into consideration if they are to improve on the rates that's right
0: so, you are going to more detail and more direct effect there, right? So, you said that, okay, the country is rich, but what is actually causing it is not the country being rich, but better healthcare, better access to healthcare, right? Perhaps education about uh, pregnancy and so on. So, correct. So, does this mean that the only way to reduce infant mortality is to make the country rich? No. That's not the only way. You can have a not-so-rich country, but with excellent healthcare you can uh, reduce infant mortality that's how that's the difference but is uh, the country does the country being rich predictive of infant mortality probably yes most rich countries have low infant mortality right okay but that's not the cause of it the cause is healthcare right excellent how about number one Does that mean that, ah, okay, hey, CEO, we give you a higher salary and that will increase the share price. Well, that's good for a CEO, right? But that's not always true, is it? But the real thing is that the CEO's ability to be a good CEO, the decision-making of the CEO, not the salary itself. The salary is not causing the share prices. There's some correlation, but that correlation is actually working through the CEO's ability. The CEO's competence. right? So that's why it's very important to get a causal model. So what does actually determine some model becoming a causal model here? So for example, after taking into account uh, for all confounding factors, we established that better sanitation reduces child mortality, right? Uh, sanitation, healthcare. Um, confounding factors, this is important. It means that we have to make sure all factors we take into account. uh, There's no omitted variable. uh, There's nothing that we miss. So this is where economic models and theories can help us because theorizing, there's a lot of thought put uh, put into it. There's a lot of uh, research being done prior to that. That helps us get a relationship that's causal. You can have a very simple model that is predictive, but it doesn't mean that it's a good causal model. You can have a causal model that is not so good at prediction, but is more useful to suggest uh, a policies uh, and because it suggests better causality. Okay, All right. So in this case, what is the policy prescription that we should make? Then we can advise the country or NGOs or, or Ministry of Finance Ministry of Health and so on to implement programs to improve sanitation in order to reduce child mortality. Make sure that the mothers don't give birth in the bathroom. Make sure the mother go to a hospital if they can, as much as they can, to make sure that uh, this, the child don't get infection, the mother don't get infection. Right, okay. So, right. So that brings us here. The role of economics and finance theories. Theories in economics and finance and other social sciences as well suggest how variables are related to each other. As I've mentioned, this can help us build that causal model. Okay. So it's useful for developing, especially developing causal models. Okay. And also predictive models as well, of course. Uh, Examples: economic theory suggests that quantity demanded is negatively related to uh, price, to own price, the price of the, 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 the product itself, and positively related to income of consumers. So this is just demand equation, right? That's an economic theory. Finance theory suggests that bond prices depend negatively on inflation. If inflation goes up, bond prices go down negatively, right? If inflation goes down and bond prices go up this implies that predictors that are useful for predicting inflation should also help in predicting uh, bond prices okay so what does that mean ah so since finance theory suggests that if inflation changes then bond prices also changes and therefore we can uh, extrapolate, oh, if I want to know the determinants of bond prices, maybe I, if I find the determinants of inflation, I can use it to determine bond prices. So that help us de- develop a causal model for bond prices based on our theory about inflation. Right. So that's how theories can be useful for econometric modeling. All right. So then we can use econometrics to test uh, economics and finance theories as well. So not only that we use the theories to help us develop models, but we can use econometrics to test if these models are correct. For example, the efficient market hypothesis. Uh, Finance people, you may have heard of this, implies that all important information for next period's equity price, stock price, is in this period's price. Hmm. What does that mean? Hence, equity returns should be unpredictable. Right. Um, this is quite a tricky way of explaining this. It basically says that um, you cannot uh, predict what's going to happen next. Because all important information for next period's equity prices is in this period's price. Uh, This is actually uh, an explanation of random walk, which is what we are going to look at uh, later in time series. Um, uh, Let me just use this. I try to explain it in uh, in a more uh, understandable way. Sir? Okay, so yes, yes, Ishmael.
1: Wait, sorry. Okay, yes, I was lagging, sir. Uh, can we say that uh, the next period's equity prices may be dependent on this period's prices?
0: Ah, it doesn't mean that. That's what I'm trying to say. That this explanation is a little bit tricky. Um, the theory says that. Efficient market hypothesis says, okay, let me just start with that. Efficient market hypothesis is that the market is so efficient, whatever information that you have, everyone has as well. So there's no advantage uh, for you. So it means that if you try to predict what's going to happen next, you can't because the price will uh, uh, go to equilibrium very, very quickly. Um For example, um, you know, let's say you find something cheap on Shopee, right? But then you see on Lazada the price is higher. So what you do is you buy from Shopee at five bucks and then you sell to Lazada for ten bucks. Okay, so because you think only you know that, but Efficient market hypothesis is that if you know it, everybody knows as well. And very, very quickly means that the price 5 bucks and 10 bucks will quickly adjust. Either the price 5 bucks will go up or 10 bucks will go down. And so that there will be no difference. Let's say they settle at 7. So both will be 7 and therefore you can't take advantage of it. So that's what efficient market hypothesis actually says. Okay. And the implication of that is that you cannot Use any kind of variable to predict it because all variables are insignificant. Okay. Um, And ultimately, what affects the movement is just randomness, in other words. Okay. So, hence, equity returns should be unpredictable. Unpredictable if you use past values of uh, price in this case like you want to predict stock price for tomorrow, you use today's price or yesterday's price, it should not be uh, useful. But if you can find a significant predictor for returns, for stock prices, then we can reject this hypothesis. Uh, so that's where you can test. Let's say you put in um, the profit of the company or you put in um, uh, people's sentiment, you put in uh, Twitter trend or Google trend or something like that, which they do use, by the way, Um, Then if you find, oh, I can actually predict equity returns, stock prices using uh, some kind of predictor, some kind of variable. And therefore, that is contradicting to the hypothesis, this efficient market hypothesis, and therefore the hypothesis has been shown to be uh, incorrect for that instance. So that's how you test it. Does that make sense? so when there it says that important information for next peers' equity price and increased price that actually yeah is it implies randomness so we learned about that uh, in week 10 right okay all right so that's that's up section any question sorry if there's a little bit confusing is that okay, Ishmael?
1: Yeah. Okay. So it's hypothesis. It's not, it could be proved otherwise.
0: Ah, it could be, yeah, proof or disproof. Um, you see, in economics, right? Everything is good that you mentioned that. Is, is it a hypothesis? Is it a theory? Uh, is it a law? So which one is in economics because it's not hard science like physics even physics you can still you know say it's wrong but uh, nothing is the, the nature of knowledge in, in social sciences and sciences in general is 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 is, is uh, tentative in a sense that you and this is more philosophical, really, um in a sense that we never settle on something we always uh, we are always open to new evidence. Okay, so we have some hypothesis, some theory. If that theory cannot be proven wrong, then that is the best theory we have so far, right? But if we somehow find uh, a contradicting evidence, then that's it. Then that theory can be rejected. So there could be another theory you can take over as the more accurate theory, mm-hmm. like how you know Newton uh, loss of motion was uh, taken over by Einstein's relativity theories and asan theories are uh, trying to uh taken over by, not taken over, but explained by quantum mechanics at a different level. So now they're trying to bring them together with string theory and stuff like that. right? But Just because they're theory doesn't mean that they are incorrect. But just because of nature, nothing will be called uh, uh, you know, like, like doctrine or something like that. We have law, but law does not explain. Like laws of physics, uh, actually in a way, is weak in the sense that it doesn't explain anything. Loss of motion. So in, it happens. It's kind of predict, predictive. Like if this happens, that happens. It's a law, but it doesn't explain anything. Law doesn't explain, it just describes what happens when something happens. Um, Theories explains. So, if you talk about physics science, they are more interested in the 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 physics, the the theories of it, because that's more interesting. You get to explain the why of the law, of the uh, natural uh, observations, right? (laughs) Even we have a law of supply and demand. Is it called law? Some uh, instances they do. But you know, law and uh, supply and demand is very different for different types of uh, uh, you know goods and services. So you have given good, and then you have some other goods I can't remember the names, where it doesn't follow the typical uh, supply and demand. So you know, so it's not really a law. Okay, you take a little bit of a break. We're halfway there. Any questions?
2: Excuse me, sir. I had a question.
0: Yes, sure.
2: Uh, So uh, so you mentioned that uh, the correlation isn't always a cause, right? So is it possible at any instance for a factor in a correlation to be a cause as well? Or is that never?
0: Oh, yes. Yes, definitely. So correlation is like the initial thing that we see. There's some similar pattern or similar movement, which can lead to causation, or it's actually causation, and we can do more analysis so that we can determine the causality, but that's not always the case. You get what I mean? Yes. Yes. Uh, So correlation is like a lower level. So causation, you need to get to a higher level. You need to to, uh, check more boxes, tick more boxes to achieve that level, confounding factors, and things like that, you know. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Definitely correlation can lead to causation. Well, uh, if you have a causation, you definitely have correlation. Uh, Let's put it that way. (laughs) Okay. How's week one so far? Hectic already. Hectic already? Yeah, I heard <laughs> yesterday. Uh, you know, from my colleagues, they've bombarded by a lot of emails. Uh, maybe from you guys as well. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, you know, Mister Minsu, right? You must have taken, uh, I think, one thousand with him. So he has about five hundred students now. It's sort of six hundred. Because one unit, he has two units. So one unit has, has uh, 450 students, another unit about 200 students. Oh, that's C. That's a lot of students.
2: Mm.
0: I guess that's a good sign that Monash is doing quite OK despite the pandemic. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, I want to get to know uh, you guys more. Um, um, any of you international students?
2: I'm an international
0: student. International? Where are you from? Am I pronouncing your name right?
2: Yes, it's correct. Uh, I'm from Sri Lanka. Sri
0: Lanka, are you back home?
2: Yes. uh, I Uh, actually had to go back. Like, There's no chance of coming back until... um, Because restrictions are pretty strict here as well. So they're currently vaccinating everyone here. So until that gets cleared up, travel is sort of restricted.
0: That's good. That's good. How, how what is the population of Sri Lanka?
2: We have twenty two million
0: in oh, Sri. That's, that's that's quite big.
2: Yeah, does not fit or the country's. Uh, yeah, country is quite small compared to the population. Yeah. yeah. Oh,
0: okay, so it's going to take a while to vaccine everyone. Hopefully... Yeah, currently
2: we've only we've we only have around a million doses, so that's the. Oh. Um, yeah. That's so true. the. Yeah, very slowly but surely
0: It's happening Okay, good, good, good Take care of yourself um, yeah. um, Did you have a chance to come to campus at all?
2: No, not really
0: No So you have not been in the country at all? Malaysia?
2: No uh, The thing is, uh, I did the first year here And transferred for my second year Unfortunately, second year ah. There was no way of transferring
0: Right, right. So, so you're supposed to transfer for your second year to... to yes.
2: So I've done my entire second year online.
0: Yeah, okay, okay. So this is your second year, right? Yes. Second correct. year, first SEM? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay, so hopefully you can spend your third year on campus, huh?
2: Yeah, uh, fingers crossed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hopefully next year, at least something. Or next semester, even better. Yes. Right. Anyone else? International students.
1: Yeah, I'm from Pakistan.
0: Pakistan, Ishmael. Ah. Yeah.
1: Ha-
0: so you're you're in Pakistan now?
1: Uh no, but I've been living in the Middle East.
0: Oh, okay. Uh where? If in Oman. In Oman, okay. How is it there? Everything okay? Yeah.
1: It's the hot the there. cases are rising up again.
0: Oh, okay.
1: I'm very hot.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's really hot here. I I cannot imagine how hot it is that. There. There's some kind of heat wave happening. Um, ha- have you started vaccination in the country? Uh,
1: I have heard that the doses have been delivered and everything, but until now, there's no news of who's getting it or whether it started or not.
0: Oh, all right. Okay. Okay.
1: There's oh. no particular lockdown here. It's just, uh, I think they're gonna implement a time restriction in the, on the fourth of March. I think, yeah.
0: Time restriction like like curfew.
1: Yeah, like a curfew. So from five from eight p.m. to five a.m. is the restriction.
0: Oh okay, wait. You're just starting the curfew because the case is going up. We are.
1: No no. no. They started it and they finished it up and then. Because the cases were fine for a while, uh, but then they saw that they were increasing again, so I they're see. implementing it again.
0: Right On the 4th, huh? So over here on the 4th yeah. is supposed to be the end of our uh, lockdown, but uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we have to have like 4,000 so. 2,000 cases. I think cases. it again. Yeah. Uh, man. You know, a few days ago, uh, on Sunday, my son Just turned one, one year old. So we didn't really have a party because we can't really invite anyone, you know, because my parents are somewhere else, my wife's parents are somewhere else. So the grandparents are very far away, so we can't travel. Yeah. So the lockdown here started two weeks after he was born. So he's been, you know, in the lockdown condition literally his whole life. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> my first child yeah poor thing well he seems happy <laughs> I guess he doesn't know any better <laughs> I guess he's okay he's getting bored of us though. he's seeing my face and the mother's face you know so hardly uh, see anyone else poor thing oh yeah I mean it really hits me that oh it's been one year he's one year old and he's we are still you know like this we're still in this mess so yeah really posting in perspective Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Ishmael. Um anyone else? International students. Um
2: I'm also from Sri Lanka
0: so. Ah Sri Lanka as well. Ah okay. Yeah. Tisanja, Th- is it? am I pronouncing it correctly?
1: Yeah Tisanja.
0: Tisanja, okay good. Tisanja. Ah, oh, man Sri Lanka. So have you been there the whole time? Have you been to campus at all?
2: No, no. Sir. No.
0: no? Oh, this is your second year as well? Like Ishwika.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, man. It's like that. Oh, it's okay. Do, do, you, do you get to see, do you get to go out at all? Do you have lockdown then? Uh,
2: no, like, uh, we are not in a lockdown now, so we can go out.
0: Yeah. Uh, do you get to hang out with friends? Are the restaurants yeah. open? Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah.
0: So, not so bad then. I guess, you know, there's there's some life happening there. Yeah,
2: now it's getting back to normal. Sorry? Now it's getting back to normal. normal. Yeah.
0: Oh, okay. That's good. All right, all right. Oh, good to know you guys. Ah, the Malaysians? Okay. Next, next break. We'll talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyone from Sabah, Sarawak, maybe? Anyone? No. Actually, yeah, I really get the newsroom. I used to, not, not so much anymore. No, I oh, no one. All right. Any questions for me, maybe? i ask you about your life. You want to ask about my life? <laughs> okay, that <this> sounds weird.
1: <laughs> How long have you taught in Monash?
0: Oh, okay. I, I started in Monash. I got my undergrad in Monash. In, I started in 2011. I graduated in 2012. I did honours in 2013. I started uh, tutoring in 2014. Um, and I've been teaching since then. Uh, 2014, and then in 20, and then I started my PhD in 2015. End of 2015, and then 2016, I became a full time uh, staff. So that's when I started uh, lecturing. So, yeah. So I used to co-lecture. Like I have another lecturer as well. So I take a half a semester, six weeks, six weeks. And uh, since last semester, since last year, I took over the whole lecture. And this semester, I took over the whole unit, uh, so slowly and surely, I'm, I'm conquering this unit. Yes, <laughs> kidding. So yeah, does that answer your question?
2: So, are you all under lockdown? Have you all been under lockdown or what's the situation like uh,
0: right now? uh, Yes, we've been under quite strict lockdown since since January. It's been like two months, I think. So, they keep extending it two weeks, two weeks, two weeks. It's supposed to end on the 4th. And usually if they are extending it, they will say something by now, but they haven't. So, we are hopeful that they will um allow us but yeah it's not going to be a full open now they allow uh, restaurants to open some malls but uh, we can't travel interstate we can't travel to other districts even so we are okay. yeah so we did it. there are roadblocks everywhere um dining in is allowed but quite strict yeah quite strict actually i don't really mind so much, all the restrictions. It's just yeah, traveling interstate because I want the grandparents of my son to come and, you know, my parents, my wife's parents to come and see us and so we can see them as well. But yeah, so that what bothers me really. Everything else, uh, not really. I can stay home. It's fine. You know, I do miss going to campus though. I do miss seeing you guys. You know, Having classes and meeting students and my colleagues and, you know talking about teaching and research and so on. Yeah. Monash has changed quite a bit in the last year. People, some people have left, quite a few people have left actually. Um yeah. still haven't met. Last year I went to my office like four times, I think. Only four times. Mm. Monash is quite strict about this. I guess it's the issue.
1: I did my
0: whole first year in SMR. First year? Oh, did you? Oh my God! <laughs> yeah, I used to live there. I was resident number ten <laughs> in SMR. I know that because they give us laundry bags, so they put number mine is number ten, so I know I'm number ten there. So one of the early residents of SMR.
2: Yeah,
0: I was there when they didn't have internet. That was horrible. But so It's, one of the it's not that one.
1: good right now either.
0: And <laughs> yeah, I heard now they have double decker beds. Like what? You're already living with eight people in the in the apartment and you have double beds now. So you're living with 10 people, 16 people? What then? yeah. So yeah. So you you you've gone through something quite quite torturous there. And you survived. Uh,
1: it was an interesting time.
0: <laughs> Interesting, exactly. Oh god, eating a lunchbox every day. I guess.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, right, the restaurant downstairs. Uh, Sorry. Oh, I think the connection also.
1: Yes, lunchbox and Family Mart and everything. Oh, Family
0: Mart. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, Family Mart is new. Okay, right. Let's continue. Thank you. Uh, I hope you enjoy that. I enjoy talking to you. Okay. okay thank you, guys. All right. Okay. Echromatic data and chromatic analysis. Let's look at types of data. Ah, remember just now ideally we say we want to use experiments, experimental data, so, but we can't. So the gold standard for measuring causal effects is using data from randomized control trial. RCTs. This is very popular. Recently, the Nobel Prize in Economics was given to the the, 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 the pioneers of randomized control trial. Right? Uh, this is the closest thing we have to an experiment. Okay. Um, so this is similar to the way effectiveness of new drugs or vaccines are measured. In medicine, pharmaceuticals, the way they develop the vaccine and so on, this is what they do, randomized control trial. Sometimes they call it a double blind uh, experiment and so on. So this is what we use. So when you use this, it's called experimental data. But it's not easy to do it. It's very difficult, hence the Nobel Prize. So such data is called experimental data. Unfortunately, in, most of the time in business and economics, we cannot run experiments, right? It's difficult to do this. So most often, econometric analysis has to be carried out with, with observational observational data, uh, i.e. Mean, non experimental, which is what the statistic departments have, what... Um, uh, data uh, 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 collection companies like Bloomberg, uh, Collects, like uh, DataStream, Thomson Reuters, those kind of people, you know, uh, the, 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 the IMF, the World Bank, and so on, they collect data. That's what we have. So just use it the best we can. For example, returns on, on education. We look at data on wages, on educational attainment, on years of education, and so on. Right. So observational data pose major challenges, as we've mentioned confounding effects or omitted factors or omitted variables. Smarter individuals go to university. University graduates get higher wages. So is this wage differential, a return to university education or a return to smartness? You see the problem there? I'm saying that, oh, okay, education increases wages. But is it because of education, i.e. university education, Going to university, or is it because of the people are clever? Because most people going to university are they are clever already. You see how? So we're not sure. Oh, is it because of the university, or is it because they are already smart? Like Harvard, they become uh, prime ministers and, 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 and you know top people. Uh, is it because of Harvard, or is it because Harvard admits already smart individuals, already talented, already good? with good networking and so on. See, confounding effects. So we have to know how to take that into account, how to precisely measure that so we can establish causality. Right. So this is very important. Have to keep that in mind. right? Data structures. There are four, actually. Put three there, sorry. There are four, three major ones, but uh, the fourth one is, is kind of a combination of one of them. Right, so number one is a cross-sectional data. Observations on, on one or more variables taken at the same point in time. Number two, time series data. Observations on one or more variables taken at different points in time, right? i just go through quickly, I'll explain more later. Panel data are called longitudinal data. Observations on the same cross-section units at different points in time. Panel data is a combination of cross-section and time series. And number four is pooled cross-sections. Two or more cross-sections are combined in one data set. Okay. The econometric methods and models that we use depend on the type of data. Very important, right? And using inappropriate methods may lead to misleading results. Okay. Cross-sectional data. This is an example of cross-sectional data on wages. So here we have number of observation, right? And these are the wages, education, uh, years of education, experience, uh, whether male or female, this is dummy variable, and whether married or not married, also dummy variable, indicator variables, right? So this is cross-sectional. How do we know this? These are observations. These are number of people. These are the cross-sections. And this is taken for just one snapshot. For example, this is taken in year 2020. Uh, This is 2016. So let's say 2016. So this is for year 2016. We don't follow for every other year. Notice that we have many variables here, right? Wages, education, experience, female, married. It doesn't matter how many variables you have. What matters is the number of dimension. Okay. In this case, you have only uh, many dimensions of people. Observation means People. So, person one, person two, person three, person four, right? Number of people. Okay. Number of unit of analysis. Okay. For example, here we have country, one country, two countries, three countries, and so on. And we have the GDP, uh, government consumption, and adult secondary school. So, this is also a cross section of these countries. Okay. As opposed to Time series data, where we have oh, for one country, Puerto Rico, which is not exactly a country; it's a territory under the US, actually, Puerto Rico. But anyway, let's assume it's a country. Uh, So, this is number of observations, okay, for each of this year. So you have one country for many many years, okay dimensions of time, right? Many years, instead of many countries. So a cross-sectional data set has many countries, but one year, one time, okay? For time series, it has only one country, but many years, okay? Number of variables does not matter. Say so we have four here, doesn't matter. You have one or two, doesn't matter. You only took look at the number of countries, Number of people and number of years. Not necessarily year, it can be months, it can be days, it can be weeks, anything dimensions of time. Okay? Right. So, pool cross section is two or more cross sections that combine in one data set. For example, um, so here we have year 93, 93, 93 for these people. So, these are uh, housing prices. So, these are houses. So, house number one, uh, house number two, house number three, up to house number two in 250. And for the same year, 93. And we have the prices, the tax, square footage, and so on. And we also have a house number 251, 252, 253, but for year 95. Right. So, what do we have here? We have 520 houses, or about half of them is taken from year 93 and about half from year 95. Okay, if we just look at this section, the top half, that's a cross-section for year 93, right? For 250 houses. If we take at the bottom half here, it's a cross-section for one time period, 95, just like 93 just now, for this many houses. So if we combine them we get a pool cross-section you take these two and put it in a swimming pool right uh, so this is what we call pool cross-section <laughs> why do we have this kind of um so this gives us more information right for example in this case before reform and after reform whatever reform it is some kind of reform or housing law or something right so before is 93 after 95, so maybe 90, something happened in 1994, right? So we pull them to see the difference between the two years, right? Okay, but notice that the houses here, okay, are not the same as the houses here. Can they be the same? Yes, they can, but they are random, they don't have to be similar houses. Okay, house number one can is possible that it's the same as house number 251, but we don't know because we take randomly. Right? So, if we combine them, we assume that they are all different houses. It doesn't matter. It's kind of imperfect. So, let's pull cross section. A better version of pull cross section is what we call panel data. Ah, panel data has, you see here, Many, uh, in this case, cities, city number one, city number two, uh, up to city number 150 here, and for many years. So in this case, uh, for two years, 86 and 1990. And notice that these are the same cities in year 86 and year 1990. Same city. This one as well. We make sure that it's the same city. So ECT has two time series observations. Can you have more than two time series observations, more than two years? Yes, that's even better. Okay. In this case, maybe we want to look at something happened between 86 and 90. So this is uh, crime. So maybe there's some kind of uh, police reform or something, right? Uh, crime uh, program taking place. So we want to look at the difference between that, but for the same city. So this is more accurate. This is... uh, in a way the, the gold standard for data the ideal type of data Poor cross-section is when we can't do that for example um let's say these are houses right maybe some houses okay let's say house number two here you collected in 93 but the next year that house was demolished or there was some hurricane and the house was you know uh, <laughs> blown away or burned down from fire or something so you can't collect the data anymore so for next year how 1995 so you have to get another house just to fill up your data so or if you look at companies some companies they they go bankrupt or if you look at people people uh, pass away and so on so it's imperfect so we but you still can uh, get some kind of analysis from that before and after reform in this case after some kind of change so, but this is ideal. You have every single city for every single year for two years, right? Right. So that's panel data. You can have more than two years, of course. So it does even matter. Then you can really see clearly the change for the same year, uh, sorry, for the same city for different years, right? Because you assume that the city will be will remain the same except for whatever change happened in between. And uh, even better if the years are. Uh, uh, sequential sample you have 86 then you also have 87 you have 88 89 and 90 you don't skip that would be even better but of course it depends on the availability of data all right okay so those are the types of data okay let's' uh, this have some discussions about the cross-sectional versus time series. So for our unit, we focus on cross-sectional and time series. We don't do panel data and uh, we don't do cross-section either. We might do a little bit, some extension, but that's not our focus. Our methods are focusing on cross-sectional and time series methods. Right? So for cross-sectional, there is no natural ordering of, of observations. There is no reason to assume that the characteristic of Helen should be studied before those of Paul and vice versa. That's weird, but yeah, that's true. It means that uh, everyone is selected randomly. This actually has theoretical implication, which we will look at next week. right? So it's random. You have a bunch of people, you can choose them randomly. Okay? But in time series, you can't do that. In time series, they are ordered. You can't randomly choose the years. You have to put year 90 first and then year 91 and 92, 95. You can't skip the years. If you have the data, you have to put it there, right? So there's a natural ordering in time series in the sense that GDP in quarter one of the year precedes quarter two and quarter two precedes quarter three. Quarter one, two, and three. You can't start with three and then two and then one. And then for a different year, you start with three and then four and then one. You can't do that. Every year has to have the same structure. That's quite natural, right? You understand this about time. We understand that. And cross-sectional data are generally assumed to be independent. Information information collected on individual one does not provide any information on individual two. So this is an assumption, independent, but it's not always the case, of course, but we'll discuss that later. means that um, if I select individual one randomly, it doesn't affect my the probability of me selecting individual two or three or four. They're all random. And what have, whatever happens to person one does not affect what happens to person two. For example, their wages and their income. Person one's wages, sorry, their education and income. Person one's education and income does not affect person two education and income or their relationship. right? Of course, there's a, quite an assumption. In reality, there that could, that could be some... Effect, right, But that's okay. We just assume that. Generally, we assume that. For time series, data are generally characterized by some form of temporal dependence. Temporal is just time. Time meaning that an observation of cigarette consumption in July 2018 can be informative, can be predictive, can be related to cigarette consumption in August 2018. It says that if you used to smoke 10 cigarettes a day in July, there's a lot. You would assume that you would smoke around 10 as well in August, a day. right? So there is some connection there, because there's, there's uh, the uh, uh, sequence uh, 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 what's it called? Uh, oh, what's the word? This escapes me. Uh, there's some continuation of that pattern, right? OK. Like if GDP uh, of a country is one trillion one year, it doesn't drop to ten billion the next year. Trillion will be one trillion as well, maybe a bit higher than one trillion, and so on. So there will be some connection there. So these are the main differences between these two. Okay, a time series data can be used to accomplish two important tasks for which cross-sectional data are inadequate. We can forecast future values of a variable because there is a pattern like stock market trend, consumer price index trend, inflation trend, GDP trend, homicide rates or trend. Well, hopefully, hopefully, not going up there. Okay, homicide. Mm-hmm. So, but there is some pattern, some seasonality that we can use to forecast. Cross sectional can't do that because only in one time period, there's no temporal pattern. Right? Okay. Uh, number two, we can estimate the dynamic causal effect. What does that mean? Dynamic means the interaction between time. Ah, means that, for example, estimate the effect of alcohol consumption on, of an increase in the tax on alcohol, both initially and subsequently as consumers adjust to the new tax. Ah, for example, if we increase the tax now, the effect on consumption on the sales of alcohol because you increase you increase tax, so the price goes up. So people will be a little bit more hesitant to buy alcohol or anything for that matter. But how quickly would that happen? Would that happen in the same day or the same week or same month? Or will it take some time to adjust? Because people, oh, it's expensive, but oh, I'll buy anyway. You It know? doesn't matter. But oh, I cannot take this anymore. It's too expensive. I have to reduce my consumption. So that is some adjustment there. So in economics it's called uh, sticky prices. Ah, prices are sticky. <laughs> sticky wages. they don't want to move too much. There's some inertia to that.? Okay? Whatever you change in policy, monetary policy or fiscal policy, there will be some stickiness in prices and rates of things. Okay? It takes time to uh, change, right? So there you go. So that's dynamic causal effect. It can take into account the relationship c- across time. So cross-sectional can't do that because it doesn't have the time dimension. Right? Okay. So there you go. Okay. okay right. Um, notation. Uh, cross-sectional versus time series. So these are basic as well. Is quite important so for a cross-sectional analysis we write as I, I standing for the observations person i person one person two country i country one country two and so on beta of uh, x here um, okay so beta x which is usually beta zero beta naught for the intercept and then beta y x i y so this is in the sense that beta 1 for variable 1 x 1 so y there will be 1 okay x i for observation i and then beta z so beta 2 x 2 okay let me just write that so this is this is 0 and this is 1 this is 1 this is 2 this is 2 so beta 1 for x 1 beta 2 for x 2 and so on up to k Right, so this is uh, let's say 100, so beta 100, that's a lot. No, you don't go to 100, let's say beta 10 up to x10, 10, variable 10, right? Okay, there, so the i there are the uh, individuals, the, the individuals, households, firms, schools, cities, states, countries, and so on, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe in the future, we can use planets, right? Oh, so beta Earth, beta Mars, beta Jupiter, and so on. Small, though very small sample size, there only eight right. We can include moon as well, some moon aliens, all right. Okay, and here we have the error term as well. Okay, right, so this is important, you remember this. Okay, time series similar, but instead of i, we use t to indicate time time period one, two or three. Time period one could be year one, year two, year three. could be month one, one, two, one, month three. Could be quarters, years, days, minutes, micro minutes and so on, right? But the rest here is similar. So this is zero, one, one, two, two, and so on. Um, So just the difference between T and I, okay? All that changes is notation for the units. Okay, Uh, later as we look at different functional forms and dynamic modeling, so the betas, uh, we can use other Greek letters, the numbering can be a bit different. We adjust it so that it can be more useful to what we are doing. Okay, right, but these are the basics. Okay, okay, question? I think it's raining outside. You see any umbrellas? Hey, be a joke, man. It's really hot. It's really okay, next. Chromatic analysis modeling. The fundamental step is to think that all variables as random variables. Okay, what are random variables? Random here doesn't mean random in the sense that we usually understand. But random variables in statistics and grammatics is variables with several possible outcomes that have a probability distribution. Probability distribution, that's the key word there. Okay. Like rolling a dice is a random variable because you have one to six, and each one has a probability of occurring. Okay. Right. Random variables. Mm-hmm. Equally as important is to remember that. With no information, the best prediction of a variable is the center of its distribution. Usually is mean, Okay, typically. Right. If we have a random sample of weekly wages in Australia, and based on that, want to predict the wage of a random person in Australia, not in our sample, what do we do? So we have a random sample of weekly wages. We want to predict some random Australian person. Okay, assuming this person is not special, not the Prime Minister, not, uh, you know, uh, Rupert Murdoch or someone. (laughs) So a random person. What do we do? Well, we will probably take the mean wage and say, okay, we have nothing else. We only have that. So the mean wage would be our best prediction, our best estimate of this random person's wage. Right? Probably not the best, but that's what we are trying to, based on no information. right? We can improve that. For example here, this is a three-dimensional look at the scatter plot. So here we have age, 20, 40, 60. So this is a scale. So we have continuous wages there. And this is uh, wage as a function of age, after wage as a function of age, or uh, conditional uh, expectation of wage. So distribution of wage condition on different values of wage. So this is the function, which is the model as well. You see here, what it's saying that for a person aged 20, there is a distribution of wage there. Meaning that not everyone aged 20 has the same wages. That makes sense, right? Not everyone aged 40 or 60 have the same exact wages. Makes sense. So if you were to choose one value to represent a person age 20 for his which which one would you choose you choose the most likely value and that most likely value is very likely to be the mean of that value okay this is a normal distribution we'll discuss more on that later so but the mean would likely have give you the best probability of you getting the random person's wage, correct, for the given age, okay? So that's why the expectation of wage given age is that function there. So if the given age is 40, then the, we expect the wage to be this value, whatever that value is, the mean of the wages of people age 40. That's our best uh, guess. Okay. Right. Makes sense. So in this case, we only look at uh, one aspect, just wages and take one mean. But in this case, we only, not in, only take into account the wage, but we take into account the age as well. Ah, so if we have more factors other than age, we have uh, age, we have education and all that. So we have more of this kind of effects. Uh, but when you have more than three, more than two variables, then it gets a bit complicated. You have a three, four dimensional scatter plot, you can't put it on paper. Okay, But regression can do that, multiple regression, Okay, the math can do that. Right. So the problem here of answering the, the, the which given the H is reduced, is simplified to estimating the intercept and the slope of the conditional expectation line from the data this line here the linear line right so if we can find the best fitting line the regression line to the scatter plot of the data then we can answer the question so we study the regression line and establish why it is the best that we can do why is it that running a linear regression line through that scatter plot is the best way to get the estimate of someone's wage Given his or her age. Okay. Right. Okay. There are other predictors of which, like I said, education, IQ, that we can put in as well. So, in the theory universe, this is the theory here, okay, this equation here. In the data universe, we find the combination of age, education, IQ that fits the wage data best. So we study why this is the best we can do. So this is multiple regression now. Like I said, it becomes more complex, but regression can do that. Okay. We also learn how to incorporate information that is qualitative, like if the person is male or female, or what is the occupation? Is it a blue collar, white collar, a manual labor uh, occupation, which determines the wage as well. You can't count that, but you can categorize it. So that's qualitative information. Okay, So we can, or categorical information is also called. So we can put that in the regression as well using dummy variables. We will learn that in week seven or week six. All right? So just some summary. Main focus here is we study regression modeling in this unit, which is a powerful tool for empirical analysis. Empirical means using data. We learn how to estimate regression models, how to interpret them and how to make inference referring to hypothesis testing predict forecasting and prescribe policy advice on the basis of this model so that summarizes everything that we have explained so far okay any question we can finish this might go a little bit, but I think it's about two hours because we took like a 15-minute break right now. So yeah, I think we can finish it in two hours. Okay, so just now we did discuss about causality, so we'll discuss it a little bit more. Causality and the notion of satiris paribus. All else equal. That's what satiris paribus mean. All else held constant, it's Latin. Definition of causal effect of y on x. How does variable y change if variable x is changed but all other relevant factors are held constant? Uh, all other relevant factors are held constant? Okay, this is the definition of causal effect. Most economic questions are satirist variables questions. It is important to define which causal effect we are interested in. It is useful to describe how. An experiment would have to be designed to infer, to conclude the causal effect in question. Right. Okay. Um, describing an experiment, right? So, this is, for example, what's getting popular now the randomized control trial, which is complicated and complex. You have to be very careful. So, you have to really describe it properly. In our case, we have to de- design the model properly as well. Um, so that the interpretation is correct, we must need the correct functional form and so on, so that, you know, but all other relevant factors are held constant, that's satiris parameters, that's very important. That determines whether the effect that we are measuring, that we are inferring, is causal or not. Otherwise, it's just correlation, okay, right. Measuring the return to education. If a person is chosen from population and given another X year of education, by how much will his or her increase, uh, her wage increase? So the implicit assumption, the assumption that we don't think clearly, is that all other factors that influence wages, such as experience, family background, intelligence, are held fixed. Okay. An experiment to do this would be choose a group of people, randomly assign different amounts of education to them, <laughs> and compare the wage outcomes. This is not feasible. Like I say, you can't you know, randomly assign people's education is like experimenting with their lives, right? It's very unethical, if, if, if nothing else, right? So we can't do that. So problem, but without random assignment like this, we have a problem. The problem is that the amount of education is related to other factors that influence wages, for example, intelligence. Now there's even... Um, it's just, saying, it's just saying that your wages, your, your success is very strongly influenced by your family uh, socioeconomic level. Like there was even a uh, result saying that the worst of the rich is still better than the best of the poor. Okay, I use the term poor and rich loosely there, but you get the idea. In the sense that to advance, to become like, you know, top CEOs and so on, if you are rich, you have connection, you have family background with, with political background, particularly with a mean, then it's much, much easier for you to get ahead, to get a good paying position, you know. But if you are from background, family with nothing, you are the first person to get into university, that is much, much difficult for you. That's very depressing. So we have to change that. Make sure that everyone the social mobility economic mobility should be equal for everyone but that's the reality but now we know we should change that so there you go because there's so many uh, things that influence wages other than educa- other than education okay uh, also that the education is related to uh, other things like uh uh like how rich you are for example if you have the money you can, you know, uh, get for the education. If you can't afford it, then you can't. You can't go to good universities. You can't even go to university probably. So that really uh, complicates this thing. So another one: effect of minimum wage on unemployment. By how much will unemployment increase if the minimum wage is increased by a certain amount? Other variables, holding other things fixed. This is very relevant now in America. They are fighting to increase the minimum wage from $7.25 to $15 an hour, uh, if they follow inflation and the increase in productivity in America, the minimum wage should have been $23 or $24 right now, but it's only 7 now. So it's very, very, uh, There's a really big gap. If you look at the graph, the productivity goes all the way high up. But uh, after in the 80s, I think uh, the, it's the minimum wage start going down in real terms. Um, yeah, so they're fighting for that. So this is important. This is very relevant now. So government can experiment by randomly choosing minimum wage each year and observe unemployment outcomes. Experiment will work because level of minimum wage is unrelated to other factors determining unemployment, right? Because so what determines level of minimum wage is by law is federal law or state law is not affected by other things that determines uh, unemployment so much. In reality, the level of minimum wage will depend on political and economic factors that also influence employment. So that was the next thing I'm going to say, because right now, they are pushing for uh, minimum wage. Uh, Big factor is because, of course, it's but it's because of what we're having now, by, because of COVID, because so many people are, are suffering right now, right? So they need to increase that so that people can have a living wage, right? So that's the reality. Of course, um, by right, is determined only by law, but that law is influenced by a lot of political will, a lot of lobbying, and so on, right? Okay. And like economic factors, political factors influences, and uh, unemployment as well. So there's some kind of connection there that we have to take into account. Right, so in other words, the regression that we run is like our own lab. We try to create an experiment. We try to create the condition of satirist parameters without actually running an actual lab experiment. That is why econometric is so important and so powerful get that okay any questions my son is knocking on the door can you hear that he's screaming <laughs> yeah boy you want to join the lecture <laughs> Any question? Okay. Now, testing predictions of economic theories. So economic theories are not always stated in terms of causal effects, right? Sometimes it's just prediction. For example, the expectations hypothesis states that long-term interest rates equal compounded expected short-term interest rate, compounding effect, compounding interest, you know that, right? So Long term, for example, like uh, uh, okay, so uh, okay, this is a very short long term, so long term you can have like very long like like twenty years and thirty years and so on, but in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, it's okay, The, the this is the, 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 the compounding interest equation there. An implication is that the interest rate of a three-month treasury bill should be equal to the expected interest rate for the first three months of a six-month treasury bill. Ah, right. So that's the theory, and you can test this using economic methods. You can get the actual data and try to see if that is correct. You can do hypothesis on that. Okay. uh so this is I think I'll skip this you can look at this yourself it will be is in the lecture slide so this is um, uh, remember the the the, the go through this a little bit um the, the student teacher ratio the class size and the test score so how can we um, do the test so here we have the number so class size small class size large average score. This is a bit higher, this is a bit lower. Standard deviation 19.4, 70.9. <coughs> uh, standard deviation, this should be S, actually, not S squared. S squared is variance. Uh, so, and that's observation 238 and 182. Right. So, we calculate the this mean of small minus mean of large. So, that's basically this minus that. Da-da-da-da-da. And then we get 7.4. So the question is, is this 7.4 a large difference? Is it a significant difference? Of course, it's a difference, 7.4, but is it statistically significant? If you, meaning that if we were to take uh, from another district, from another country, will we still have the same difference? Or will the large be smaller than the small? Maybe? Maybe. Lower, so all that. So these things to we have to do take into account the variance and the standard deviation. So for example, uh this deviation is 19.1. across the street is doesn't stay there. This is what we know. Uh so the difference between 60th and 70th percentiles is 8.2. This is a big enough difference to be important for school from discussion for parents or for school committee. Is this a big enough thing? We don't know, right? So that's why we need Uh, a proper hypothesis test. okay? Hypothesis test determines if the difference is big enough. This is a simple uh, equality of means test. So this is a T test. I I thought I used this because you would have seen it in first year, right? So you remember this. (laughs) It's like an old nightmare coming back, isn't it? So uh, mean of small, mean of large divided by the standard, standard, uh, standard error, standard error is calculated that way, uh, of that, and so on and so on. Standard um, error, okay. And then we have the T-statistics of 4, okay, 4.05. Now, so this we have to compare to some kind of benchmark. So that benchmark is the critical value. So you should have heard that before. So for a 95% uh, Confidence level or five percent significance level alpha five percent uh, one point nine six is the uh, uh, the critical value and since four point zero five is larger than critical value of one point nine six we say that we reject the null hypothesis and say that the two means uh, null hypothesis says the two means are the same. So if we reject that, it means that ah, So they are not the same. So there is a significant difference. So 7.4 is a significant difference between a small and large class. So there is a significant, a statistically significant difference between the performances, the score between a small class and the large class. Okay? So that's one. Or you can use the converse interval approach. Right? So uh, 7.4 plus minus 1.96. Times one point eight three, so the error. So you get three point eight and eleven. Okay. Right. So like that. That's the difference. Three point eight and eleven. That gives us um, a sense of how big the difference. How if we were to uh, do this thing again with different uh, sample randomly selected these are the, the the value that we get from the difference will be, be within this reach, okay? Right, so we can test this. You, we can do hypothesis testing using this by saying that, ah, this does not include zero. If it does not include zero, it means that there is significant difference. If there's no difference, then the difference is zero, right? Zero difference means no difference. But if the zero is not within the interval means Uh, There is a significant difference. The least difference it would be would be 3.8, but it's still a difference, right? Okay. So it means that the 95% confidence interval does not include zero, and the hypothesis that the change, the difference is zero, is rejected. So the change, so the difference, the gap is not zero. So there is a significant difference in test scores for large, between large classes and small classes small classes having higher test scores. So there you go. So that answers this question here. so um, so have you answered this question? So data from this says there is a weak negative relationship between the student teacher ratio and test scores. Sample correlation is negative uh, 0.23. So we see that there is a relationship there and there is a significant difference between high-end and low-right. Okay, summary. So the goals of econometric modeling are either to predict or to prescribe policy, i.e. to establish causal relationships. The data available in business and economics and social sciences are often observational data, meaning they're non experimental, Except for what's trending now, which is uh, data using the randomized control trial, which is very common in medicine and pharmaceutical and hard sciences, but in economics, is just starting to uh, gain uh, ground, uh, especially in developmental economics. Observational data sets are either cross-sectional, or time series, or panel, aka longitudinal, or pooled cross-section. So I like to call pool cross-section as imperfect panel. That's not a real term. That's just how how I see. So regression modeling is a powerful tool for econometric analysis. And we're going to learn why is it so powerful, and what makes it powerful, and how can we yield this powerful tool to our advantage. Right. So what's next? We're going to look at the mechanics of estimation, the details of it, hypothesis testing, Confidence interval, right? Uh, These concepts extend directly to regression and the variance of regression and different types of regression, Um, different functional form, right? But before we go into regression, we will review some underlying theory of estimation, hypothesis testing, and confidence interval. Why do these methods, these tools, these procedures work? Why are they valid? Why do we trust them? And why use this rather than other methods? Okay. Uh, we will review the intellectual foundations of statistics and econometrics, how we build econometrics based on mathematics and stats. Why do we like to build things based on math? Because in science, math is like the, the mother of truth, in a way, the mother of science, in the sense that if you can prove it with math, then you, it's always true. It's a universal language. Right, math is 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 pure, and if you can show it with a mathematical mathematical um, relationship proof, then it's, it's very um, uh, convincing. But of course, it doesn't imply that it's always appropriate to use uh, mathematical um, connection to to, to 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 observe human behavior. But it's a basis of what we do. is probably more uh, relevant to physics and you know hard sciences, but human behavior is a lot less predictable. So, but it's less predictable because there's so many other factors. So what we do to adjust for that is we take into account all these factors. We adjust for it. So that's what we do. We base it on mathematics, but we move on to make it closer to reality so that when we do apply it, is not uh, just blindly applying theory and math without trying to understand the human factor, human behavior, human psychology, and social interactions, and so on. Emotions, you know, right. OK, there you go. Just the end. Thank you. Any questions? That was quite fun. Everyone's still here. So that's that's a good sign.
1: <laughs> Sir, I have a question regarding views.
0: Yes. Nishma. Uh,
1: so I tried to install the Citrix or the Citrix, but uh-huh. it doesn't load up. There's no installation there. Ah, uh, okay. Is there any other way I could do that?
0: Okay. Um, uh, this is... Okay. Um... Can you, do you mind sharing your, do you mind trying doing it now and sharing your uh, screen? So I can direct- Yes, more? let me just. Because yeah, yeah okay. there is some issue with that just now. Uh,
1: so it does say to download and- Okay. So I try that and, but it's always stuck in this. And whenever I try retrying,
0: Okay, just... so you right-click on that, right-click on that, or try download, right-click, mm-hmm. uh, save link as, save link as, ah, okay, so you save that, okay, uh, press on the little click, the, the arrow there next to this card, and click keep. Yeah, sometimes Chrome thinks that this is uh, a okay. uh, dangerous software, <laughs> but it's not. It's fine. Citrix. Uh yeah, yeah. So he's downloading now. So the rest of you, you should do this as well. Okay. If you can't uh, load up EViews, is EViews twelve now? Which is they just, they just have uh, updated that like today because yesterday is was EViews eleven, so they just upgraded to EViews twelve today because I just checked yesterday. So you can uh, download. If you have a problem accessing, then you go to Settings on the top right, the gear uh, icon there, and go to um, Activate Citrix. Then you can do what uh, uh, Ishmael uh, did just now. OK.
1: OK, thank you, sir. All
0: right, so you should be able to install that, and you can run in use. Okay. Any any other issues? Any questions? Everyone? Adele? Chokley? Hanyam? G Am I saying it right? No questions. Uh, no
1: questions.
0: No question, all okay? All right. How was that? Any any feedback? Was that okay?
1: yeah it will not bad. yes it was good yeah uh, okay all right good, good. it's better to attend the lecture so that you don't have to watch the recording <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah but some of our friends they have classes at this time i guess but yeah um, i think it 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 makes a difference when you know there's an actual person there isn't it? i mean it makes a difference to me so I guess it might make a difference to you too. But of course, recording is... I've been recording even before COVID actually because it's good that you can go back and record and pause, you know, watch pause and then fast forward and so on. So it's, it's useful. So students have always liked that. So I've been recording for for like three years now, I think. Yeah. So yeah, it's good to attend. It's good to have recordings as well. That's the way to go. Technology have you seen anyone else using this kind of background this semester any of your lectures maybe yes this is the official monash background i just changed my name there so every department will have their own Useful, right?
1: So you can see well,
0: yeah, I saw the management lecture. The management? Ah, right.
2: <laughs> and um, Dr. Akram used it as well yesterday. Ah, yes. Please workshop.
0: Ah, nice. Yeah, yeah. He took it from me because he saw me using it. So, hey, Nazoo, where did you get that? Can you give me the link? Yes, yes, the Takram. <laughs> okay, okay. I think that was last week or
2: something.
0: Hmm. I just accidentally found it. I was looking for some template for Bonacina. Like, hey, there's some Zoom background here. It's interesting. Let's use this. Yeah. So you can call me Naziru, by the way. Just call me by my name. No problem. So we are like, you know. I mean, I don't want to have like a you know power gap or anything like that. Yeah. So just just, just treat me like a like a friend, you know. So we discuss be respectful of course but yeah i'm just here trying to help you yeah don't be shy don't be scared um okay uh if there's nothing else then i guess we can stop here thank you so so much for coming this is very encouraging there's a lot of people here um and i'm quite happy with this okay any 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 last uh, thoughts anything else you'd like to say any requests, any feedback? No?
1: No, thank you, sir. Have a nice day. Right. Thank okay. you, sir.
0: Thank you so much, okay, sure. bye-bye. Take care. Thank you,
2: sir. Bye-bye. Thank, you. thank you. Dinner.
0: Wash your hands. Bye-bye, stay safe.